Okay, I'm going to give a warning again today like I did last week because this week is similar to last week in the depth of content that the Bible brings us that some parents may not want for little ears. So if you have a young child, I don't see too many here in our first service today, we have a class in the back through fifth grade even, and you may want your child back there, we'll be very appropriate. But these are really deep things we're talking about today. And this is 1 Corinthians 7 that we get to be in. So if you want to follow along in your Bibles, I encourage you to do that. You can turn there. We'll be dealing with the first 16 verses of 1 Corinthians 7. And You know, we bandy about the word radical a lot around here. Man, we're radical. The gospel is radical. And sometimes we say it so often that it gets a little flat. Yeah, yeah, the gospel's radical. We sing these songs like we sang this morning. I don't know about you. Sometimes they just kind of wash over me. And we're singing these amazing words about the faithfulness and wonder of what God's done. We ought to be like screaming and shouting and jumping jacks. I don't know. We're not a flag-waving church. But I see how you get there. Because really, it's exciting what God has done. And to our hearts, they get kind of like, well, life is just kind of daily and my week was long. And here I am again. Into this, we looked last week, we come along at these bumps that hit us that show us how incredibly radically different the gospel of Jesus Christ is for your life. Not just some ascent out there. Yeah, Jesus did something a long time ago. There's its cross. It was on Golgotha and there's stuff out there. No, 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 wait. If you believe this, it's radical how it changes how you think about your life. Last week, we hit this when Paul made this amazing statement. He said, all things are lawful for me. What? How could that possibly be? And yet we looked at how in the gospel and through how what Jesus has done. Hey, if you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified, this is all what Jesus did for you, full stop. The law has nothing more to say to you. But, but, but now that the law has nothing else to say, it's not like go do anything. Not everything's helpful. And so we looked last week at how Paul walked through. It's an amazing thing. God didn't just say, hey, there's, there's a, just don't do it. He, through Paul, has saying, this is why. In reflecting the eternal union you have with Jesus, why you might not want to, why it's harmful for you, don't do it, why it's not helpful for you to go image temporary unions. Don't do it. Radical stuff. Today, we leave sexual immorality to some degree to talk about marriage. And and when we talk about marriage, I, I know, I know. I sat through, oh, eight, nine, ten, even 11 Mother's Days with my wife. To talk about being a mom just hurt her because she wasn't. So now we have marriage, and maybe you're not married. Maybe you're even really far from marriage. Maybe it's not your thing. Maybe your marriage has been terrible and it's ended in something hard. And says, oh, we're going to talk about marriage. Oh, no, 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 wait. This is radical. Hear it. Paul has something to say to you, single person, married person, in light of the gospel. I don't want you to miss it. It, it really is radical. The gospel of Jesus Christ impacts the very fabric of what we consider marriage to be, whether you should be married, and how our outlook changes when we finally grab hold of, really start to grab, that we're forgiven forever. Surrounds the question the Corinthians had, that his interesting question about 
sexuality. Isn't it just something we should avoid? Aren't we better if we just don't go there ever? And Paul's answer might surprise you and I. So this is on marriage, and you need to see some things about it. The first thing I want to talk about and make sure you see is radical equality. Look with me. Verse 1. So, concerning the matters about which you wrote, Paul says in verse 1, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Again, here's these quotes again. It means, it means the translator said, hey, this, this is the content of the question. Like they wrote to Paul and they said, hey, hey, is it better for us never to have sexuality? Is it better, given the, the, the dangers involved with, with wrongly imaging and the things we might be doing wrong, hey, hey, maybe it's just more helpful for us if we don't even ever go there. And in your mind, you can bring up Images of monasteries, convents. Shouldn't we just have glimmers in our eyes about Jesus alone? Shouldn't we focus on him 24-7? Shouldn't we pray without ceasing? Like, you know, when some of these things go on, I don't think about prayer. Shouldn't we not take time out to do stuff that isn't critical to the advancement of the kingdom of God and I want my life to glorify God maximally. I'm, I'm imagining what they might be thinking. And so, so what do you think? Should we just kind of set that aside? And I feel like we get a lot of these kind of sentiments from people who are very well-meaning. You know what Paul thinks? He thinks we're forgetting our weaknesses. Look what he says. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. I love this. We're such winner-oriented people. You know, it shines through right here. We're good, better, best people. We're thinking, well, well, if this is good, then that's probably better, and this is best over here. So I think it's probably best if, if, we, if we just watch out for sexuality and just don't go there, because maybe it's a bad thing. I could live at the church. I could spend every minute of every day maximally focused on Jesus, giving him maximum glory. Paul says, um, you won't. Right? Isn't that what he's saying? What we just saw in the last chapter, that's the danger. You know, that you'll do something unhelpful. That not, and, and he says, well, wait a minute. Marriage is actually helpful. Then he does something radical. Do you guys see that? Sometimes we start reading here, and we just start going through, and you, you start going, okay, yeah, yeah, I get it, and you go through. But, but, but in society, in society, there's always a gradation. Around people, we're always, we're always evaluating each other. We're always putting people over one another. And the most common way that society has done it in marriage is to put the guy over the gal. Men are stronger. And, and, and in this society there, and it's even more striking, if you went in, in some senses, a patriarchy, all the things went through the male line. Everything went through men. The one withstanding in society, the, the elders or the judges, the patriarch, the senator in the Greek Senate, the woman was weaker. And, and sometimes even people in the church, we don't, 
we fall into this almost. We, we kind of think, well, yeah, there's, there's headship, you know, that means the man's the head, and, and, and in the marriage, the man's the head. It means the woman submits. And so what can come into that is not happiness, but authority. Look here. Look closely at this most important relationship, the most important imaging that you do. Look. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. That's a nice biblical way to say sexuality, right? And likewise, the wife to her husband. <laughs> you see, it's, wait, wait, wait. In, in this area, in this Air being married, it's not that one person has control, but there's one person who's who's above. This it's nothing like that. Here you have equality. In fact, look at look at how he emphasizes it. For the wife doesn't have authority over her own body. Well, I, I get that. Man's the head. But the husband does, okay. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Isn't this remarkable? Step back with me and see how upside down this is for the time that Paul was living in and how remarkably freeing and amazing it is in in a marital relationship. It's not one over another. There is equality. This is really remarkable for the day, but it's because Paul has a specific thing in mind. It's the thing we talked about last week. It's this reality that you and I have changed, right? What's changed for you? I was washed. I was sanctified. I was justified. Who did that? Jesus did it. What am I in now? A forever union with him. And so if I bring into marriage, Paul's thinking of marriage, what is he thinking of? He's thinking of the union you have with Jesus. I know he is. Because over in Ephesians, if you want to go back, I won't... Well, I can stick it put it up on the screen for a minute. Here, look. This is the end of Ephesians 5. There's only a couple passages in the whole Bible that really talks about marriage. This is one of them, and the passage we're in today is one of them. This is how he ends the passage there. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Oh, there's this union that happens, you see. There's this amazing thing that comes together. And he says, this mystery is profound. I don't even understand it, says Paul. It is so deep what God does in a marriage when he brings together a man and a woman. But I'm telling you, he says, I'm saying that it refers to, wait, Christ and the church. This is a big deal. The sexuality we talked about last week was about a temporary thing that you do with a prostitute. It images the wrong thing. It says things aren't forever. It says that things are transactional. But in the marital union, oh, that actually is imaging Jesus Christ and his church. Well, well, well but, 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 but Jesus is the head. Yeah, and Ephesians says that, that the man's the head. But here in the intimate expression of unity, It's together. And and that's what we're talking about. That's where we are. This is what we're saying, that that, that not just this piece of giving rights, it's this reality that the wife doesn't have authority over her own body. Why? Because she's one with her husband. The, The husband doesn't have authority over his body because he's one with the wife. There's an independence that's been given up, and it's been given up willingly and joyfully. 
You see how this is beautiful? Because Jesus Christ was so high above us, and yet he didn't hesitate. He came down to earth. He became one of us. He died on a cross for our sins, and he became one with us forever. All that we are is Christ's, and all that Jesus is, is ours. That's radical. This mutuality, image that, Paul says, because that's the reflection of the gospel. And to hold back or to lord it over or to mess around with privilege, that's the opposite of what you're trying to do in marriage, right? So if you're in this marriage relationship, he says, this union that reflects the closeness you have with Christ, then don't think it's wrong or dirty or less spiritual. Quite the contrary, it helps prevent wrongly imaging, deunionizing. We talked about it a little bit last week. Don't deprive one another, he says, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Temptations abound. Uh, Mostly to forget, right? Forget that you're acting out of this incredible union of Jesus Christ and the church in your marriage, and and then so you head into either self-fulfillment or into some some acting out the temporary nature of what sexuality is meant, not meant to be. Don't do it, says Paul. I don't know, many times people grab this verse, right? I've had it. People come to talk to me and we talk about their their marital relationship and, and just in general, it happens that many times one person's sort of holding out on the other and you say, well, what's going on? I say, well, well, I'm devoting myself to prayer. Like somehow that's more spiritual, right? Say, really, really, you are. Does your partner agree with this? Well, no, not really, but stop. That's not what he's talking about, right? That somehow there's something less important, less amazing, less spiritual than the act of sexuality in your marriage when when it's imaging the union you have with Christ. except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. It's like the two of you have some grievous thing happen and together you want to pray and mourn. It's not a let's be more holy for a while. That sneaks in. Radical equality. You don't have the ability to say no. The other person doesn't have the ability to say no in terms of, in terms of the wonder of, of your body not being your own because Christ's body was not our own. I know, you can take that sound bite, and it's not very PC. I know, if you don't think about it, oh, are you saying, Dax, you have to do this all the time? No. You're not under law. But what's helpful for you? Are you saying, what I want to do is I want to image this amazing union with Christ. And my whole life is for this other person. And, 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 and your spouse, their whole life is for you. It's incredible. That's what he sets up. Now, you say, well, Dax, that's great for you. You've been married for 20 plus years. I'm not married. It's great to say, oh, how wonderful sexuality is in this relationship and how it images the right things and we should do, do there and be there. I, I, I get it, but you're speaking as one who's married and I'm not. And Well, Paul has something to say to all of us about this. Look what he does. He talks about radically about contentment. 
Now, as a concession, he says, not a command, he says this. I wish that all were as I myself am. But each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. It's amazing. Again, he's not commanding every, anyone, right? It's, it's just a remarkable thing. We take our Bibles, we open them up, we say, oh, there's the principle, we're going to apply the principle. But here's Paul, and he says, hey, I'm saying this, not the Lord. <laughs> I'm working through with you how I think about this issue, and I want you to work through it too, he says. But if it were true that you were able just to focus on the wonder of Christ and not have any other concern, that's wonderful. I I know that's not God talking. It's me talking, says Paul. We all have our own gifts. And for some, imaging in a marriage, that's, that's great. For others, maybe it's singleness. It's a radical Christian idea, by the way. Stanley Hauerwas, one of Duke, he says, one of the clearest differences between Christianity and any other religion is the idea of singleness as a paradigm or way of life for its followers. Right? Look what he says. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. See, Paul was single. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Here's my opinion, says Paul. If you aren't married, if you're widowed, it's totally okay to stay single. You're not missing out on a fulfilling life. You're not missing out on God's purpose for you. I mean, marriage is okay too, especially because of proclivity we have to train ourselves away from our forever union with Christ. That's just straightly reading the text. That's not very radical, I understand. it. Why is this such an amazing radical thing? Why is it so, we haven't touched how radical this is, because because what I hear in that, if if you're just reading through and you're not thinking about what Paul is saying, what I hear is a little bit of holier than thou in it. I don't know if you hear that too. Like, okay, you people have to get married, but if you want to be really holy, stand me with me. And and, uh, man, if you could only focus on Jesus, then you'd all be single. If you leave it there, you miss how crazy cool the gospel is. That's, that's not where he's going. So, so get the, get the context. Here's the context. In the Hebrew mind, Paul's in this pharisaical Hebrew mind. What's the most important thing in the Hebrew mind? I'll just tell you. Honor. What kind of honor? Family honor. What is family honor? Doing the line. Making sure you have a line. Making sure you're under your head, who's the patriarch. And then, and then you're going to make sure that you bear children so that in the future there will be a line. If your line ends, you're done. You're not remembered. You're over. In the Greek culture, it's not a lot different. Man, the thing was, even in marriages, a lot of times arranged for what? To have kids. Why? Because you've got to have kids. I know you guys understand this, especially my grandparents in the room. What is it when your kids finally get married? Oh, I'm going to have grandkids to spoil. They're going to know me. Even today, we remind our kids of great-great-aunt Murdy because we want them to know her. Her memory lives on in the family that they had. This is the context and what he's talking about, right? He's... 
It's so important to have a line. And, and, and even in the biblical sense, you and I, we talk about it. Don't we talk about this? Man, oh boy, but, but it's so important to have children, to, to subdue the earth, to go and have lots of kids, because that's going to be what's positive, is you have lots of children, and, and boy, a quiver full is what you want. And, and, and we, we reference little passages in the Psalms that say that. The purpose of marriage is having children. Children are important. And into this traipses Paul. And he says, hey, I think it's great for you to remain single. What? And, and, and just get married if you're burning with passion? What about kids? What about carrying on the line? What about the importance of children? What about the God-given commandment to bear lots of them? You can't do that if you're not married. Yeah, Paul says, no worries. Actually, it's better if you don't worry about it at all. That's what Paul's saying, right? This is radical, radical, radical. The gospel does this. Here's the gospel. You have a forever family. The family's directly related to your union with Christ, which is the true reality for you and me forever. So one way to image this truth is don't worry about your earthly legacy. Right? What's going to burn? The earth and everything in it. So he says, if you're not burning with passion, don't worry about having lots of your own children to ensure that you have a line on earth after you're gone, that you're building in the building block of earthly gain, that you're populating the earth by your offspring and your seed. That's not where it's at, right, says Paul? So, so you can image your union by your marriage. Oh, yes. You can image your union by your singleness. Why, yes, yes, you can. Both are among the most radical things you can do. And as a reminder, when you're married, you're imaging this union that never breaks. And that's why he says this in verses 10 and 11. He keeps going, right? He says this. Well, maybe not. It's not coming up. Here's 10. To the married I give this charge. Not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Here he's stronger, right? Do you see that in verse 10? He says, he says not, I'm saying this, not I, but the Lord. That This is really important because he's made something. You see, once the Lord makes a marriage, that he makes this union, you don't go break it. So, so the, I'm not saying this, it's the Lord. The wife should not separate like somehow marriage is temporary. Don't divorce like somehow your union is severable because it's not. And and the husband shouldn't do it. The wife shouldn't do it. See what he does right in the middle? Do, do you see the parentheses? But if you do. What? Do you see how this takes it totally out of the law? Why would he have an if? Why would there be an if? If you, if you want to say, okay, this is what it is. There's no such thing you should ever leave. Don't make a divorce ever. And I say, yeah, that's what he's saying. The wife shouldn't leave. The husband shouldn't leave. There shouldn't be a divorce. But you know, if you do, what? You realize what Paul's doing. Not everything is lawful for me, 
not everything is, what was it? Helpful. It is not helpful for you to break the wonderful union that God has made. But you know what's going to happen if you're a real Christian and you've, you've held on to this and it's a reality for you. You're still a sinner. Could it happen? Yeah, it can happen. It's happened in this room. Is that good? No, it's not good. But you know what? If you, if that happens, you see how he does it so amazing. Paul says, hey, I know you. I know you're still going to be a sinner. I know it. If that happens, don't jump right back into re-imaging this forever union. It's better to stay unmarried. It's best to be reconciled. This is what makes sense in light of the gospel and our union together in Jesus. It, it does, right? It fits right into how we're thinking about what marriage is now. We're thinking about how it's a reflection of Jesus and the church. We're thinking about the wonder forever union that we have. And, and, and that should continue on. We shouldn't leave that. Oh, it's the best imaging you can do. It's wonderful. It's the work of your life. But but you know what? If, if that does happen, don't jump right in like, like it doesn't even matter. No, what you do is think about the wonder of Jesus is for you forever. Stay there. We are s- sinners, but we are reconciled to God by Jesus. And and if that's where you stumble and fall in a marriage, come, be reconciled. Or, or if you can't, don't, don't worry about making sure you get a line somewhere else. You have a line. You have a forever family. Okay, this is really remarkable. You see why we're using radical today. It's radical equality. The gospel brings it into marriage. Husbands and wives totally for each other, not one above the other, to lay down your life for the other person. And then this radical contentment that not to worry about the structures of society, just about Jesus, who we already have, and, and playing that out forever. And then a final word about how useful your life is if you know Jesus right now and going into the future, no matter what's happened. Look what he says. It's Again, it's remarkable. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord, I'm working through this again with you. Here's my thinking about how this union, this marriage piece works out. Uh, that, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. This is not a call to go marry unbelievers, but you can image this union with Christ, he says, even with someone who doesn't know Christ. Well, maybe there's something about the husband. I mean, he's the head, right? I mean, there's the thing. Nope. Quality. Right? If any woman has a husband, verse 13, who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. That's the exact same language. And Paul again is saying, this is what I think. This is how I think of the union of what we're doing in marriage, that you're connected to an unbelieving spouse. I mean, think about it. The most difficult thing you can be in, right? The person who knows you intimately and and then knows how you think about reality and how you've been touched by the forgiveness and wonder of Christ. And they don't believe it. Every day it's in your face. Every day they're doing things that are just not right and, and you have no ability to call them on things because they don't know Jesus. There can't be anything redeeming in that, can there? If you're connected to someone and they don't believe, Paul says, don't run away. 
whoa, whoa, isn't it more holy? Okay, just, just think about it in terms of holiness, because what I kind of think is, okay, if I'm holy, that means I'm set apart, I'm separated, but then I'm actually in a union, and even a sexual union, with, with someone who is, is common and profane and hates God. Wouldn't it be more holy and separated out if I went away? That's the question, right? That's what Paul's saying. He's hitting our view of what holiness is. I'd think that if I was separated out and a washed person, I was coming into a marriage bed with someone who's carnal, common, and unwashed, I'm, I'm imaging something terrible. And, and, and so my understanding, my thinking on this would lean toward Christians withdrawing from all entanglements and going into a convent or a monastery or something, just praying. And instead, Paul says, in these imperfect situations, in these, these situations where you're, you're holy because God's made you so, but you're with people who aren't, think of it this way. You need to understand, you are holy. It was done. It is finished. Your status doesn't change. In fact, you bring it along with you. Remarkable. For the unbelieving husband is what? Made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. (laughs) Here's what you're imaging when Jesus gets on earth, aren't you? And Jesus Christ is the embodiment of holiness. He is holy in all that he does. He's God. And, And he comes and he comes and he touches the leper. He touches the unclean. And and it used to be in the Old Testament, if that would have happened, if a person, a human being, came and touched the leper, that person was unclean, and they'd have to go through all the rituals to make them clean again, to stay holy. And Jesus, what does he do? He flips it around. Holiness has come, and that holiness isn't able to be overcome. He touches the leper, and what happens? The leper gets clean. (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ is that radical. You take with you the holiness of Christ. So I have a faith alone that it's been done to me. And I can walk into somewhere. And just because I'm there, the things around me that I touch start to become clean. This is remarkable. You know what that means about you? You're amazing. Not because you do things rightly, not because you make the right choices, not because you manage to avoid all sinners on the road to heaven, but because you have Christ in you. And and the, the reality that you believe this means where you go, you bring the presence of Christ with you everywhere. See how valuable you are? Now, sometimes in our heads, we're trying to manipulate my life. I do this to try and maximize glory, and it just doesn't work. Because anywhere you go... God's God's going with you. Your faithfulness in a broken situation has amazing effect. You may not get to serve an office in the church if this is you and you're you're married to an unbeliever. You you might feel like you're an outcast. Your spouse never comes with you to church. But but you know what? You are useful. God's using you. Now, not just to the spouse, but to the kids, right? Look what he says there. It's remarkable. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. What? God even sees your kids as his. It's not that they don't need to come to faith. It's not that. It's not, oh, they're believers now or something. No, it's that they're seen through the eyes of you belong in union with Christ. And and God knows how much you love your kids. And, and there he is, you're his. And so he sees your kids a certain way, right? 
This is a huge push for you and me to just living your life, thinking out, living out the reality of the gospel, seen in the truth of you have been washed, you have been sanctified, you have been justified. That's what it is. Believe it, live it, and, and it won't always work. It's going to break sometimes. Look at how he ends. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? If separation happens, if divorce happens, you're not enslaved. It isn't ever the end. You're not a failure. You're not rejected. You're still the forgiven son or daughter of God, forever in union with Jesus. God has called you to peace. And you don't even know, right? Isn't that what he's saying? You don't even know what effect you might have had. You don't know the seeds you've planted, not by your morality, not by your religion, by your living out the truth of the gospel. By having a radical different view of your own worth, your own ability to let go of you because of what Jesus Christ has done. (laughs) Would you taste and see with me this morning that you and I are radically different? Why? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's it. Because we trust Jesus, we trust what he's done, we reject any idea that we, we maximize ourselves, like, like somehow maximizing our glory means that he's glorified more, that if I can get my life lined up and my ducks in a row, that, oh man, that's, that's the glory road. Instead, Paul presents today in his own thinking how in broken corners, in things that aren't perfect, in ways that aren't as you want them to be, the Lord is using you. So whatever comes, we're His. We know who we are. Today, it's about marriage, the very concept of it, rocked by Christianity, the equality and the union. It's radical. And, and, And if you're not married today, realize there is no moral obligation on you to do so. There is no social obligation on you to do so in light of the gospel of Jesus. There's only... How do you want to image him? What do you want to do? I like this quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, if we let him, God will make the feeblest and filthiest of us into a dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot imagine. That's coming. It may not be here. You may not see it. This is eyes of faith, but it's coming. We're coming resurrected into Christ forever. That's why we read this in Zephaniah this morning, and I wanted to close with it. It's Zephaniah 3.17. About, it's about when the Lord receives Israel, but this is the heart of the Lord. It does not change towards his kids. Hear it, would you? The Lord your God is in your midst a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That is the heart of the Lord for you. No matter how your marriage has gone or not gone, no matter how much success you've had or not had, no matter how much things have gone as you would hope in this life or how they haven't, oh, that you would see the gospel's for you.